Thanks for tuning in to our first season of Let the Truth Talk. My name is Tara. And my name is Tandia. We are recording from Banff, Alberta, Canada. Before we get started, I would like to honor and acknowledge the traditional lands of Treaty 7 upon which Banff is located. With this land acknowledgement, we recognize that we have a responsibility to understand our history and the spirit and intent of Treaty 7, so we can honor the past, be aware of the present, and build a future on peace, friendship, and understanding. We would like to give thanks to these sacred grounds that were shared by the Stony Nakoda First Nations of the Chiniki, Bearspot, and Wesley. The Blackfoot Confederacy, comprising of the Sitsika, Pikani, Gaina First Nations, and the Sutina of the Dene people. We also give our thanks to the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. We both work with the Harmony Project based out of the YWCA in Banff. The Harmony Project brings together local service providers working towards ending sexual violence in our community. Through our collaborative and community-minded approach, our work focuses on education, awareness, prevention, training, and support for survivors and their family and friends. Our first season follows along with Sexual Violence Awareness Month. This year, our theme is Consent Through the Ages. We believe that anyone at any age can practice and teach consent in everyday life. Follow along with us as we bring in local experts to discuss how we can create cultures of consent. Before we get started, we just wanted to give a listener's note. While we are talking about everyday consent, the topic of sex, sexual assault, and other forms of violence are brought up in our conversations. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome! This is episode number three. Today we have Jenna Boucher talking about consent with the young adult population. Now something with young adults is the age range has changed throughout the years. Used to be under 20s and then kind of the 25 year olds. Now I know with the Camor Young Adult Network, we've defined it under 35s. So essentially people who are just starting to maybe like finish up high school, university, kind of first or second jobs. Um, So this uh, kind of younger adult population. Uh, To get started, Jenna, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, so my name's Jenna. I use she, her pronouns. Originally, I am from Ottawa. There, I was a, um, a child and youth counselor for two different organizations. I ran and worked um, a queer youth space for queer and trans youth to access out kind of in the more conservative rural areas. And then I also worked with youth who were either gang involved or involved in um, human trafficking that sort of thing. Uh, Then I moved out here about two years ago and started uh, my career out here with the YWCA as the anti-violence counselor and educator and then uh, moved on from you guys but still very much like in contact with you and doing different um, contracts and that so I'm very thankful to be back out here again and talking about this stuff with you. Fantastic thanks for joining us. Yeah of course happy to be here. So right off the bat, I just wanted to know, how have you seen young adults practice everyday consent? Uh, Just mainly through interactions. Um, Consent can be seen, I find a lot of times consent gets tied to any kind of sexual activity, which it's really important to because you have to have consent for that to happen. But even when you look towards social media, like how you hang out, how you communicate, different kinds 
of friendships, whether they're more romantic or more platonic, um, like all through dating, consent is practiced in pretty much everything we do. Like whether anytime you kind of ask somebody a question um, or that kind of thing, or like ask to borrow something, ask to hang out, um, ask them how they're doing, all of that involves consent. With um, that uh, definition of consent, um, what would informed consent mean to you in your everyday life? Yeah, so when I'm thinking about informed consent, I like to think of the acronym FRIES, one, because like potatoes are uh, heaven on earth and the best thing to eat. But also (laughs) when you think about FRIES and how it's spelled, when when we think about consent, we want to make sure that it's freely given. So you've got the F. You want it to be reversible. So if anything happens or if like whatever you're doing, the person doesn't like feels like maybe that's not for them, they're able to reverse it. They want it to be informed. Um, there you get the eye. So this makes sure this makes sure that person has all the information to make the best and healthiest decision for themselves. We want it to be enthusiastic. So we want to make sure that the person is willing and wanting to participate in the activity. Um, and we want it to be specific as well. We want it to be specific to what that activity is um, and not just a generalized consent. So informed consent is having all the information so that each person um, within that activity can make the best decision for themselves or for the group as a whole. It's a great definition. Thanks, Jenna. Yeah, of um, course. I, I'm interested to hear on how this might be practiced in light of the pandemic. If you have any examples or, um, yeah, if you just want to expand on that a little bit, I'd be really interested to hear. Yeah. So when we think of how, you know, COVID has really kind of taken over and really changed how young people are social with each other. It's changed how we're dating. It's changed how we're hanging out. Um, I mean, even specifically here in the Bow Valley, it can be a rather hard place to live successfully alone, mainly when we think to finances, um, just different living situations, um, house costs, like the gas, even just like groceries. It's a higher expense out here. So a lot of the times it means folks who you would generally see living alone do have roommates or it's maybe it's two couples that kind of thing living together so it's really important that uh, when it comes to the bubbles and the and like the way to keep each other safe that people are communicating they are keeping each other informed and they're making decisions that um, the both groups can like participate in so I mean, even thinking for myself, I have a I have one roommate here and she's partnered and so when she sees, her like her partner outside um, or if he comes inside it's best that like we're always communicating informing each other if anything's happened at work if we've seen anybody um, specifically with the, the the restrictions in Alberta with having bubbles and supposed to be staying in your own household it's just important to keep each other informed even though sometimes that means you have to have the hard conversation of hey uh, you were just with somebody who now has some symptoms that means you can't come over we can't see each other for two weeks that kind of thing and I know that like that could be extremely difficult for somebody to be like you know what we were supposed to hang out tonight or you were supposed to come over this has happened um and now we can't because it sometimes it might be really easy to kind of forget about that and be like no I still want to see this person um I still want to hang out I'm not going to say anything because it hasn't affected me yet but that if you were to do that the other person doesn't have all the information to make the best decision for themselves on what's safe for them yeah that's a good point I know that's something we noticed with the pandemic is just um 
a lot more respect with regards to personal boundaries. Uh, some mm-hmm. people are very comfortable with touch or being close together or being in a car type of thing, whereas other people, it's it's not not within their comfort. They're not consenting to that activity. And so the pandemic has kind of brought up this topic um, of everyday consent in a way that everyone is having to actively practice it daily. Yeah. I mean, like even um, I've got a dog, I've got to walk my dog every day. A way that I still am social and hang out with my friends is walking the dog. And so there's times where um, like when all this kind of first started, one of my friends came over, they came over with their partner and they were both wearing masks. And I walked outside and I didn't have a mask on because in my mind, I was like, oh, we're outside, should be fine. Uh, but then I was just checking in with them being like, hey, I'm noticing you two are wearing masks. Would you like me to wear a mask during this walk as well? Um, and they said, yeah. And I was like, cool. Yeah. Go, went and grabbed a mask. And it's as simple as that. Just checking in when you notice anything, because consent really comes down um, to communication and being able to have sometimes hard and uncomfortable conversations or even doing things that um, like I wasn't like it wasn't a thought of mine to wear a mask outside. Um, but it is also important to know that, yeah, when you're walking, you're generally not walking like six feet apart from people. You are outside, um, which I mean, from whatever research they've shown is like different, but it's still important that if you are within those two meters to be wearing a mask. And it was just something that, you know, I noticed and I checked in and wore a mask and wearing a mask didn't affect me, didn't harm me in any kind of way. And it made it easier for the three of us to hang out in what we all felt was a safer way. That's such a great example because you didn't take them saying, yes, I want you to wear a mask as a bad thing. You just respected their boundaries and they're like, we feel more comfortable wearing masks together and to enjoy our time together. Can you wear a mask? And you're not like, oh, they think I'm dirty. That's that's not the point. That's just where their comfort level is. So I I really appreciate that example. And that can be a very hard thing with consent as well when we... When people put in boundaries, a lot of times, well, in so, like in some situations, people can see somebody putting in a boundary as a bad thing, um, when really boundaries are there to protect relationships. Sometimes it might feel like that boundary is then a barrier and it is uncomfortable and it's not something that you fully understand. But generally, when people put in boundaries with good intentions, they're doing it to protect and to, like, to help foster the relationship and they're not doing it to hinder it or break it down in any way. Yeah, it creates that honest um, foundation so that mm-hmm. maybe going forward, they will feel comfortable going uh, not wearing a mask around you. Um, yeah. But they have to see that you're trustworthy and honest and they can communicate with you first. Um, mm-hmm. And having those skills in everyday life makes it easier when it really matters in those tougher situations, like you said. Yeah, for sure. Um. How have, so uh, switching gears a little bit, how have you seen consent uh, being practiced or not being practiced in your workplace? Maybe not your workplace specifically, but workplaces in general. Um, I think it really just depends where you are working. I mean, I've switched over into hospitality now and it's something that I do really enjoy and I like and I thrive in. I mean, being a previous, uh, like, being previously involved in social work stuff. Like it's, I am very much like a people person. So it's interesting to switch my skills over in that direction. Um, But the the biggest way I see it in um, hospitality is the, in the language that hospitality workers have with each other. 
Um, like before you ask anyone to do something or help you out in any way, um, generally the rules of hospitality is you say like, may I before, or so like Tandy, if we were on the same team together, say I needed you to run food for you, for you, I'd say, Hey, Tandy, may I, and then you would either respond yes or no. And then I'd let you know, like what the question was, which is something that I've really appreciated. Um, but I think it's even just like how, um, like that shows a lot of respect amongst the team. Um, and that's really helpful. And I think that would be like the biggest way I see it, um, specifically in hospitality. That's such a great practice. Mm-hmm. Within that workplace, how is the relationship between uh, the customers that are coming in and those in the workplace, like more specifically to the kind of like food and beverage establishments? Um, for the most part, like uh, we've, we've had really good, like I've, I've, I've had really good experience with customers and I think we're living in a time now too, where, um, you can definitely see things start to change. Um, specifically when you're serving just, um, like I find when I serve folks like around my own age or within like this younger adult practice, um, to be mainly like more respectful, like more aware, um, of themselves and like how they, like carry themselves within the restaurant um but serving is an interesting thing because it is very much like you're going to enjoy food you're going to enjoy drinks um and the service can really make or break that um so it's interesting because it's, it's also interesting because the whole idea of well the whole like practice of tipping um so sometimes you know if you are looking to like make extra money like depending how you serve can be uh, can help you with that. But that also means that sometimes depending how you serve, um, people might take how you're interacting with, um, it like misconstrue what kind of like what's happening. Um, I know that it can be, uh, sometimes seen as flirting or other things like that, which can be sometimes, uh, uncomfortable, uh, within the workplace. So it's really important that you do have a manager or specific like HR practices and policies to speak to. So that if that it does kind of happen to you within the hospitality, that you're able to kind of debrief it with the manager, at least know that your company has your back. If anything gets like weird or uncomfortable specifically, cause like, I mean, when you think about, um, certain, like certain restaurants and that, I know they have to wear, um, like u- different uniforms, specific things like that. Like when I was in Ottawa, there was one restaurant um, where the woman always had to have their makeup done, like hair on point. They had to wear like short black um, skirts and a, like a black fitted revealing top um, with heels. And then the men in the restaurant were trying to, you know, fight back against that and show like the hypocr- hypocrisy behind it. So then the men started wearing the uniform as well, or just working their whole shifts in heels just to show (laughs) like the managers and the different people, like how kind of ridiculous that was, you know, and that, you know, sometimes females within the service industry, um, like things happen, it can be extremely uncomfortable for them. Or when you're serving somebody, um, even when you're just being your usual, normal, regular self, you get hit on and it's uncomfortable and gross. So knowing that, especially our community, hospitality type jobs are kind of very abundant. Um, Mm -hmm. And for a lot of our young adults, it's kind of their first step into the workforce. Um, What are some steps that a young adult could take just to ensure that they feel safe uh, and protected within their workplace? Um, I think knowing your rights, like within your workplace of... um, 
like how customers can treat you or how other people, because it can, it, 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 it can sometimes be the team and not just other customers. So I think it's important to go through all the manuals, um, speak with your uh, managers during your interview, be like, Hey, has like any kind of assault or harassment or anything like that happened here before? How was it handled? Um, and I mean, I know from working at the Y with our creating cultures of consent, I think it's really important that um, different hospitality places within the Bow Valley um, take this training and able to and are and and can put it into practice. Because uh, a lot of the times people don't know their rights when it comes to working, and I mean, people are here to make money, and it is an expensive place to live. So sometimes they don't want to. Um, lose their job or step up or to say anything. So I think it's important from the get-go just to uh, speak with your managers, see what the policies are, make sure that they align with your values. And if you have any questions about them, uh, maybe talk about the creating culture of consent and seeing if there's a way that the why can either bring that in or um, train some of the folks um, who manage the places. That, yeah, that's a great answer. I um, I think that knowing your rights within like what your workplace policies are, and then even Alberta um, Occupational Health and Safety or um, other workplace standards um, could be really helpful. I remember when I was starting, I was just a young little fledgling. I was like 17 <laughs> going into the restaurant in- industry. And at the restaurant I worked at, um, you had to wear that uniform and part of it was you had to wear heels and you'd be on in these heels for eight hours. And if your feet started to hurt, even if they were bleeding, you always had to ask permission to take your shoes off and switch into flats. And I don't know if that's against any standards, but like looking back, I I should know if that was okay or not. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And to have that, um, them have that power over you. It was really interesting. So yeah, I just appreciate that answer of knowing your rights um, yeah, understanding them before you start. And I mean, at every place I've worked so far, my manager has kind of like always had my back. And I know I've like I've had just kind of one uncomfortable situation. The hard thing is, um, like, I very much identify as a queer woman. So sometimes when I'm serving, like different things can happen. And a lot of times it is like men who will kind of misconstrue what's going on. Um, and yeah, like this dude totally made me feel uncomfortable, didn't feel great about what was happening during the service, talked to my manager about it, and she was able to like come out and have my back. And that was a really um, good opportunity for me. But I think that the big difference in that situation is I've been in the field. I know social work. Um, I, str- I try to stay educated on these topics. And I also like know my rights and like know what makes me feel uncomfortable. So it was easy for me to kind of step up. Um, and have that trust in my manager to know that, like, me speaking out um, about a customer, nothing, like, I wasn't going to get in trouble for that. Um, so it can be really hard, though, kind of, like, back to what you were saying, Tandia, when you were 17, just starting out, you know, you have this job, you want to do so well, you want to impress. So it can be really hard to speak up for yourself when um, you are just starting out and wanting to, like, do so well. Yeah, I think that's one of the the key points we're trying to reinforce during Sexual Violence Awareness Month is that consent can be practiced at any age. So Mm -hmm. whether you are 14 and starting to apprentice or your first job or 48 and in your fifth job, like this topic of knowing your workers' rights is so, so important. And and being a part of a team that you know has your back and is able to uh, step in and guide you. And then Mm -hmm. even just aware of the resources within your community. Yeah. And like, 
say something were to happen and you like the manager didn't back you up in a way that you um that that made you feel comfortable like there are different resources within the community that you can go to like i know firsthand you can go to the y um and they would be able to support you in different ways to access other resources to you know kind of get something going or either get education training or get um like other people to understand like what's been happening yeah exactly all right Let's talk nudes. So <laughs> we, we know that being online, social media, especially in this age of tempo, the pandemic where we're uh, not necessarily going out and meeting people, but we're doing yeah. it so online. How can people practice everyday consent online? Uh, again, it, it's, it's a lot of, it seems tricky and kind of weird and fumbly and strange specifically. I know when you're like maybe meeting somebody new and trying to be like a little bit sexy, uh, but it's just really important to outright ask the questions and to have the conversations around it. Um, and I know like, yeah, with the pandemic switching, so many people have to switch over to FaceTime or switch over to phone calls or um, like switch over to more online things and less in person. Um, and so sometimes having that kind of um I, like you're not in person so sometimes it's easier to send a text and be like hey what are your thoughts on nudes or hey like um when was the last time you were tested or just to speak about those things because sometimes you know it's easier typing than having that eye contact like in person this is an awkward strange conversation um but I, like a lot of it just comes down to straight up asking, um, be like, how do you feel about receiving a nude or, um, anything along those lines, or just making sure that if that is something that the, like you two are practicing within a relationship that you're both aware that, you know, the pictures stay within, like just, they're just for you two and they're not to go anywhere else. And if they were to go anyone else, like, I mean, there are laws against that. Um, but I think it's, it's really just checking in and communicating and asking. Yeah, I think like within our PSA, one of the comments was, uh, I practice everyday consent by asking before I tag someone on social media because you don't know that person's comfort mm-hmm. level with having their post their picture posted and just by like, it's your, your photo, yes, but by tagging them, they're now a part of that. So I think always checking in with that is hugely important. Oh, yeah. And like even... Um, like even taking pictures of somebody who's like, Hey, can I take your picture? Or if there's like a group shot of you all together, um, be like, Hey, I'm going to post this picture. Does anyone like, is, is anyone uncomfortable if I post it? Would you like, like me not to tag you? Would you like me to cut you out? Would you like me to like post something else instead? Um, consent is really just like in those kind of ways is just making sure that the people feel comfortable and safe and heard and that you're not accidentally harming them. Um, by not knowing what they are comfortable or uncomfortable with. Going a bit back to the online dating, um, mm-hmm. relationships can look can look a bunch of different ways. So, and one of those might be polyamory. How might someone mm. practice consent in a polyamorous relationship or starting a polyamorous relationship? Um, I think like with that, it comes to being open. And so if you are starting a new relationship with somebody being like, hey, this is something I practice. Is that something you're comfortable with? Um, And giving the person the uh, like the chance to make that decision for themselves. 
Um, and there's actually a pretty good book around, you know, staying open um, or like if like not staying open, but if you're looking to practice polyamory, um, it's called The Ethical Slut. And it's by Janet W. Hardy and Dossie Easton. Um, and that has a really good way um, of breaking down the communication styles. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, having uncomfortable conversations, being okay with somebody making a decision that might, that you might not agree with, um, but it is what's best for them and what's best for you. And it's just really, truly being so open and honest and vulnerable and being able to communicate your feelings and how you're feeling and why, um, and being able to talk with your partner or partners about that. So that uh, like the, everyone within the relationships that you're practicing feel safe and feel heard um, and feel good. Yeah. It's that informed piece. Like if you're meeting Mm -hmm. someone new and you're about to get intimate and they don't know that you're not monogamous. Yeah. um, They, you kind of want to have that conversation with them before you become intimate so that they know exactly what they're getting into, how many people you're with, if you've been tested um, and things like that. Uh, yeah because it doesn't give them maybe you're on a first date and this person's like oh this person's really great I'm really liking this but maybe the person you're on a first date with does practice monogamy and the other person practices polyamory if you're not open about what you practice and how you practice that the person like each person doesn't get to make the most informed decision for themselves moving forward because say the monogamous person like didn't know that that person was practicing polyamory and wanted to move forward like towards another date but if they had known that they were polyamory they would change the like how they were moving forward with the relationship it just doesn't give everyone the tools to make the best decision for themselves yeah yeah setting those boundaries can be hard but it, mm-hmm. it, it feels good once you get that skill when yes I was dating uh, online um i started telling people after a couple of dates and they'd ask you what you're looking for. I'd say, I'm looking for a relationship, but it doesn't mean with you. And <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Because <laughs> then they knew that that's what I wanted. And they're not yeah. going to try and get um, a casual relationship with me. But they also know that I'm not going to try and like hook them in right away. Yeah. Like, you're mine. You're never leaving. <laughs> and it's hard because I know that like, I think that sometimes people, um, can have trouble communicating those things or setting those boundaries because by setting that boundary, a person is going to respond in a way and you're not quite sure, but sometimes it might mean they respond in a way that means they see you less or maybe they like you differently um, or the relationship changes. But just because that relationship changes, it has nothing to do about who you are as a person. It's about how you two are able to meet each other's needs or wants. Totally. And yeah, they might not be the right person, but hopefully... Mm -hmm. It just means in the future, you're going to have more quality relationships. um, Yeah. Because you're saying what you want and hopefully they're saying what they want. For sure. Uh, And that's what I think consent and like open communication, specifically informed consent, where you have to have some harder conversations. That's what it comes down to. Totally. Totally. Um, All right. So the last thing we wanted to touch on was porn. Um, Mm -hmm. We touched on porn a little bit, talking about how children will have access to porn. It's just on the internet, it's easier to find than a parent might think. Um, mm-hmm. However, it currently is being used as a source of sex education for a lot of young adults. Do you have any suggestions or thoughts on making this a safer platform? 
Yeah, there's, I think there can be a lot of harm reduction work done through porn, specifically the way people um, consume it. I, there, I mean, there's all different kinds of porn and people access porn for different reasons. Sometimes, you know, especially specifically as teens, they hear of some kind of like sexual act and they're like, what is that? So you might turn to porn to learn about it. Um, but as we get older and like change how we consume porn, I think it's really important uh, as a person to look at how they're accessing it and what they can do that might reduce the harm with it. Cause uh, you know, we don't know how um, the actors or actresses are being paid. Uh, we don't know the conditions if they're being safe, um, but there are a few um, ethical porn sites that I know of uh, that might be good for um, folks to access if they are looking to um, like explore this or use this as like uh, like more of an education tool. Um, there's different things like Pink Label. There's there's Belsa. Um, if you're looking to be like more on the audio side or just like kind of let it listen to more like erotic things like that, there's Dipsy. Um, there's Quinn. I know there's Sounds of Pleasure. I think it's just really important um, that you are aware of the porn you're consuming and like if it is safe or not specifically just based off of whatever your own kind of like moral or value compass is um but there's definitely research that you can do out there um so that you can still that you can find porn that is more ethical and that you can still enjoy it without it bringing harm to another human um yeah thank you for that and i also just want to know what are your thoughts on only fans Oh, yeah. So OnlyFans is, from my understanding of it, it's a way for folks who um, like are in sex work, it's a way for them to um, get a lot more, well, not a lot more, but like get all the money from what they're producing. Um, and from my understanding, there are really good like regulations and guidelines from it so that the performers on it are getting paid, they're consenting to what they want to do, you know, they can block um, different people from following them. Um, but it makes sure it, like it makes it so that like they are getting the money for the work that they are doing and it's not kind of going to other places, whether it's a pimp um, or somebody else along those lines. I love that. What a healthy platform. I think we're like, we're always going to have sex. We're always going to have porn. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> but having these platforms and knowing that the person wants to be there, they're enjoying it. If it's a, a, a video of two people, both of them want to be there. Um, it sets such a healthier example for consumers and not yeah. um, the mass produced porn where the female often just looks like she's crying. And yeah. It's not a good time. Yeah. That's very true. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jenna. We really appreciate you. Um, coming out, talking to us, um, and sharing all your expertise. Um, yeah, of course. I'm happy to be here. And thanks for thinking me for this. Hopefully something within this conversation has maybe, you know, struck a chord with somebody and they're able to learn something new. Before we sign off, we just wanted to ask you, how do you practice everyday consent? Uh, communication, asking questions, having hard conversations, checking in with friends, all those great kind of things. That is wonderful. Well, thanks for your thanks. time, Jenna. It was great chatting with you. And we'll Yeah, of course. Yeah, and we'll talk to everyone else next week. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to Let the Truth Talk. For more information on the Harmony Project, support services, 
links to other resources, or to check out the show transcript, please visit harmonyproject.ca. Our intro music is by Scott Holmes. And of course, this whole production was made possible by the support from the Harmony Project Committee and the marketing team at the YWCA Band. Please be sure to subscribe and like our show to be notified when future episodes are released. Creating a culture of consent starts with each and every one of us. Let us know how you're taking part. We'll talk to you next week.